Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. Short postoperative intravenous versus oral antibacterial therapy in complicated acute appendicitis, a pilot non-inferiority randomized trial. Objective. The purpose of this study is to investigate non-inferiority of postoperative oral administration of antibiotics in complicated appendicitis. Background. Recent investigations have used exclusively intravenous administration of antibiotics when comparing outcomes of postoperative antibacterial therapy in complicated appendicitis. We hypothesize that oral antibacterial treatment results in non-inferior outcomes in terms of postoperative infectious complications as intravenous treatment. Methods In this pilot, open-label, prospective randomized trial, all consecutive adult patients with complicated appendicitis, including gangrenous appendicitis, perforated appendicitis, and appendicitis with periappendicular abscess between November 2020 and January 2023, were randomly allocated to 24-hour intravenous administration of antibiotics versus 24-hour oral administration of antibiotics after appendectomy. Primary outcomes included 30-day postoperative complications per comprehensive complication index. The secondary outcome was hospital length of stay. Follow-up analysis at 30 days was conducted per intention to treat and per protocol. The study was registered at clinicaltrials.gov, NCT 0494-7748. Results A total of 104 patients were enrolled, with 51 and 53 cases allocated to the 24-hour intravenous and the 24-hour oral treatment group, respectively. Demographic profile and disease severity score for acute appendicitis were similar between the study groups. There were no significant differences between the study groups in terms of 30-day postoperative complications. Median comprehensive complication index did not differ between the study groups. Hospital length of stay was similar in both groups. Conclusions In the current pilot randomized controlled trial, The 24-hour oral antibiotic administration resulted in non-inferior outcomes when compared with a 24-hour intravenous administration of antibiotics after laparoscopic appendectomy complicated appendicitis. A Surgical Desirability of Outcome Ranking, DOOR reveals complex relationships between race-slash-ethnicity, insurance type, and neighborhood deprivation. Objective Develop an ordinal desirability of outcome ranking, DOOR, for surgical outcomes to examine complex associations of social determinants of health. Background Studies focused on single or binary composite outcomes may not detect health disparities. Methods Three healthcare system cohort study using SCUP 2013-2019, linked with EHR and risk-adjusted for frailty, preoperative acute serious conditions, PASC, 
Case Status and Operative Stress Assessing Associations of Multilevel Social Determinants of Health of Race-Ethnicity, Insurance Type, Private 13,957, Medicare 15,198, Medicaid 2,835, Uninsured 2,963, and Area Deprivation Index, ADI on door and the Binary Textbook Outcomes, 2. Results Patients living in highly deprived neighborhoods, ADI greater than 85, had higher odds of PASC, adjusted odds ratio, AOR equals 1.13, C equals 1.02 to 1.25, P less than 0.001, and urgent slash emergent cases, AOR equals 1.23, C equals 1.16 to 1.31, P less than 0.001. Increased odds of higher slash less desirable door scores were associated with patients identifying as black versus white and on Medicare, Medicaid or uninsured versus private insurance. Patients with ADI greater than 85 had lower odds of 2, AOR equals 0.91, C equals 0.85 to 0.97, P equals 0.006, until adjusting for insurance. In contrast, patients with ADI greater than 85 had increased odds of higher door, AOR equals 1.07, C equals 1.01 to 1.14, P less than 0.021, after adjusting for insurance but similar odds after adjusting for PASC and urgent slash emergent cases. Conclusions Door revealed complex interactions between race-slash-ethnicity, insurance type and neighborhood deprivation. ADI greater than 85 was associated with higher odds of worse door outcomes while the failed to capture the effect of ADI. Our results suggest that presentation acuity is a critical determinant of worse outcomes in patients in highly deprived neighborhoods and without insurance. Including risk adjustment for living in deprived neighborhoods and urgent-slash-emergent surgeries could improve the accuracy of quality metrics. How does omitting additional surgery after local excision affect the prognostic outcome of patients with high-risk T1 colorectal cancer? Objective To investigate how omitting additional surgery after local excision, LA, affects patient outcomes in high-risk T1 colorectal cancer, CRC. Background It is debatable whether additional surgery should be performed for all patients with high-risk T1 CRC regardless of the tolerability of invasive procedures. Methods Patients who had received LA for T1 CRC at the Japanese Society for Cancer of the Colon and Rectum Institutions between 2009 and 2016 were analyzed. Those who had received additional surgical resection and those who did not were matched one-on-one by the propensity score matching method. A total of 401 propensity score match pairs were extracted from 1975 patients at 27 Japanese Society for Cancer of the Colon and Rectum Institutions and were compared. Results Regional lymph node metastasis was observed in 31, 7.7%, patients in the LA-plus surgery group. Comparatively, the incidence of oncologic adverse events was low in the LA-alone group, such as the 5-year cumulative risk of local recurrence, 4.1%, or overall recurrence, 5.5%. In addition, the difference in the 5-year cancer-specific survival between the LA-plus surgery and LA-alone groups was only 1.8%, 99.7% and 97.9%, respectively, whereas the five-year overall survival was significantly lower in the LA alone group than in the LA plus surgery group, 0.2%.
88.5% versus 94.5%, respectively, P equals 0.002. Conclusions Those who had decided to omit additional surgery at the dedicated center for CRC treatment presented a small number of oncologic events and a satisfactory cancer-specific survival, which may suggest an important role of risk assessment regarding non-oncologic adverse events to achieve a best practice for each individual with high-risk T1 tumors. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Elongation of intercostal nerve cutaneous branches for breast and nipple neurotization during breast reconstruction after mastectomy for breast cancer, case control study. Background To restore sensation after breast reconstruction, a modified surgical approach was employed by identifying the cut forth intercostal lateral cutaneous branch, elongating it with intercostal nerve grafts, and coapting it to the innervating nerve of the flap or by using direct neurotization of the spared nipple slash skin. Methods. This was a retrospective case control study including 56 patients who underwent breast neurotization surgery. Breast operations included immediate reconstruction after nipple sparing mastectomy, 36 patients, skin sparing mastectomy, 8 patients, and delayed reconstruction with nipple preservation, 7 patients, or without nipple preservation, 5 patients. Patients who underwent breast reconstruction without neurotization were included as the non-neurotization negative control group. The contralateral normal breasts were included as positive controls. Results The mean SD monofilament test values were 0.070.10 g for the positive control breasts, and 179.13143.31 g for the breasts operated on in the non-neurotization group. Breasts that underwent neurotization had significantly better sensation after surgery, with a mean SD value of 35.6192.63 g, p less than 0.001. The mean SD sensory return after neurotization was gradual, 138.17143.65 g in the first six months, 59.55116.46 g at 7 to 12 months. 14.5462.27 g at 13 to 18 months, and 0.370.50 g at 19 to 24 months after surgery. Two patients had accidental rupture of the pleura, which was repaired uneventfully. One patient underwent re-exploration due to a lack of improvement 1.5 years after neurotization. Conclusion Using the lateral cutaneous branch of the intercostal nerve as the innervating stump and elongating it with intercostal nerve grafts is a suitable technique to restore sensation after mastectomy. This method effectively innervates reconstructed breasts and spares the nipple slash skin with minimal morbidity. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Anatomical Suitability for Branched Endovascular Aortic Arch Repair and Balloon Expandable Bridging Stent Grafts in a Cohort of Patients Previously Treated with a Hybrid Approach. We assessed the suitability of two triple branch arch devices, a branch, Turumo Aortic and Cook Medical, and a Balloon Expandable Covered Stent, VBX, W, El Gore and Associates, Johnson & Johnson, to incorporate the brachiocephalic trunk, BCT, in a cohort previously treated with hybrid thoracic endovascular repair, TVAR. 
Methods This is a single center, retrospective, all comers, preclinical suitability study. We conducted an analysis of preoperative computed tomography scans in surgical patients between 1999 and 2022 in a single vascular surgery unit. The primary outcome was the aortic suitability of a branch devices and VBX as mating stent for BCT in previous hybrid TVAR. Hybrid repair of the aortic arch included TVAR, fenestrated or branch TVAR associated with any surgical debranching of the supra-aortic trunks and chimney TVAR with proximal landing in zones 0 to 2. Secondary outcomes included, I, suitability assessment when excluding minor instruction for use, IFU, criteria, 2, a comparison of suitable and non-suitable patients, 3, risk factors analysis for non-suitability, and, 4, a description of the exclusion causes. Results. During the study period, 120 patients were treated. Among elective patients, an equals 73, the suitability of any branch was 82.2%, 6073, and VBX was suitable in 64.4% of BCTs, 4773. The abranch suitable patients had a significantly longer sinotubular BCT length, P equals 0.017, and smaller distal ascending aorta, P equals 0.043, as compared with non-suitable ones. The suitability of Terumo aortic and Cook medical devices was 52.1%, 38.73, and 46.6%, 34.73, respectively. When minor IFU criteria were ignored, suitability increased to 82.2%, 60.73, and 63.0%, 46.73, respectively. Left common carotid artery diameter and sinotubular BCT length were significant non-suitability risk factors for Terumo aortica branch in multivariable analysis. No associations were found for Cook Medical Device. The outcomes were tested in the entire cohort demonstrating a global suitability of 82.9%, increasing to 86.3% when ignoring minor IFUs. VBX was anatomically suitable to use in BCT in 73.2% of patient BCTs. Conclusions A branch devices are anatomically suitable in a vast majority of patients, 86%, undergoing hybrid TVAR. The anominate artery seems eligible for incorporation with VBX in almost two-thirds of patients. This mating stent may help to overcome some minor IFU restrictions. Initial two-day blood pressure management after endovascular aneurysm repair improves midterm outcomes by reducing the incidence of early type 2 endoleak. Objective The aim of this study was to evaluate midterm outcomes of our novel strategy of postoperative initial two-day blood pressure management, BPM, after endovascular aneurysm repair, EVAR, for the prevention of subsequent type 2 endoleak, T2L, in a single center series. Methods between 2008 and 2014, 137 patients who underwent EVAR for abdominal aortic aneurysm, AAA, were reviewed. Starting from 2013, the mean blood pressure was maintained between 75 and 90 millimeters of mercury for the initial 24 hours after EVAR followed by systolic pressure control below 120 millimeters of mercury during the next 24 hours in the treatment group, and equals 76. The incidence of T2L detected at 7 days, re-intervention, 
and AAA SAC diameter up to five years after EVR were compared with those of the control group comprising of 60 consecutive patients who underwent standard EVR without BPM prior to 2013. Results Between the treatment group and the control group, significant differences were achieved in the incidence of T2L at 7 days, 19.7% versus 40.0%, P equals 0.009, a mean decrease of AAA SAC diameter at 1 year, minus 5.1 plus or minus 4.9 versus minus 2.2 plus or minus 6.7 millimeters, P equals 0.013, and 2 year, minus 5.4 plus or minus 7.7 versus minus 1.7 plus or minus 10.8 millimeters, P equals 0.045. In addition, there was a significant decrease in the incidence of T2L detected at 7 days with the use of the Gore excluder with 22.7% in the treatment group versus 80.0% in the control group, P less than 0.001, which resulted in a significant decrease in the aneurysm sac diameter up to 4 years after EVR. Survival rate without AAA sac enlargement at 5 years after EVR, 83.0% versus 70.0%, P equals 0.021, and the treatment group was significantly higher than that of the control group, whereas no significant differences were observed in the freedom rates of reintervention, T2L related reintervention, and all cause mortality between the groups. Conclusions Postoperative initial two day BPM had a preventive effect on AAA sac enlargement until midterm periods, by reducing the incidence of T2L at seven days after EVR. The usage of Gore excluder under BPM was especially associated with sustained positive effects until the midterm follow-up. Natural history of internal carotid artery stenosis progression. Objective. The aim of this study was to investigate the natural history of internal carotid artery, ICA, stenosis progression. Methods. The single institution retrospective cohort study analyzed patients diagnosed with ECA stenosis of 50% or greater on duplex ultrasound from 2015 to 2022. Subjects were drawn from our Institutional Intersocietal Accreditation Commission accredited non-interventional vascular laboratory database. Primary outcomes were incidences of disease progression and stroke or revascularization after index study. Progression was defined as an increase in stenosis classification category. Imaging, demographic, and clinical data was obtained from our institutional electronic medical record via database mining query. Cases were analyzed at the patient and artery levels, with severity corresponding to the greatest degree of ECA stenosis on index and follow-up studies. Results of 577 arteries in 467 patients, mean cohort age was 73.5 plus or minus 8.9 years at the time of the index study, and 45.0%, and equals 210, were female. Patients were followed with duplex ultrasound for a mean of 42.2 plus or minus 22.7 months. Of 577 arteries, 65.5%, and equals 378, at the index imaging study had moderate, 50% to 69%, stenosis, 23.7%, and equals 137, had severe, 70% to 99%, stenosis, and 10.7%, and equals 62, were occluded. These three groups had significant differences in age, hypertension, hyperlipidemia prevalence, 
and proportion on best medical therapy. Of the 467 patient cohort, 56.5%, and equals 264, were on best medical therapy, defined as smoking cessation, treatment with an antiplatelet agent, statin, and antihypertensive and glycemic agents as indicated. Mean time to progression for affected arteries was 28.0 plus or minus 20.5 months. Of those arteries with non-occlusive disease at diagnosis, 21.3%, and equals 123, progressed in their level of stenosis. Older age, diabetes, and a history of vasculitis were associated with stenosis progression, whereas antiplatelet agent use trended towards decreased progression rates. Of the 467 patients, 5.6%, and equals 26, developed symptoms, of those, 38.5%, and equals 10, had ischemic strokes, 26.9%, and equals 7, had hemispheric transient ischemic attacks, 11.5%, and equals 3, had amaurosis fugax, and 23.1%, and equals 6, had other symptoms. A history of head and neck cancer was positively associated with symptom development. Of 577 affected arteries, 16.6%, and equals 96, underwent intervention, 81%, and equals 78, of interventions were for asymptomatic disease and 19%, and equals 18, were for symptomatic disease. No patient-level factors were associated with risk of intervention. Conclusions A significant number of carotid stenosis patients experience progression of disease. Physicians should consider long-term surveillance on all patients with carotid disease, with increased attention paid to those with risk factors for progression, particularly those with diabetes and a history of vasculitis. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Robot-assisted laparoscopy does not have demonstrable advantages over conventional laparoscopy in endometriosis surgery, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Background Endometriosis is a chronic condition affecting 6-10% of women of reproductive age, with endometriosis-related pain and infertility being the leading symptoms. Currently, the gold standard treatment approach to surgery is conventional laparoscopy, CL. However, the increasing availability of robot-assisted surgery is projected as a competitor of CL. This study aimed to compare the perioperative outcomes of robot-assisted laparoscopy, RAL and CL in endometriosis surgery. Objectives We aim to compare the effectiveness and safety of these two procedures. Methods a systematic search was conducted in three medical databases. Studies investigating different perioperative outcomes of endometriosis-related surgeries were included. Results are presented as odds ratios, or, or mean differences, MD, with 95% confidence intervals, C. Results Our search yielded 2014 records, of which 13 were eligible for data extraction. No significant differences were detected between the CL and RAL groups in terms of intraoperative complications, or equals 1.07, C0.43 to 2.63, postoperative complications, or equals 1.3, C0.73 to 2.32, number of conversions to open surgery, or equals 1.34, C0.76 to 2.37, length of hospital stays, MD equals 0.12, C0.33 to 0.57,
blood loss, MD equals 16.73, C4.18 to 37.63, or number of rehospitalizations, or equals 0.95, C0.13 to 6.75. In terms of operative times, MD equals 28.09 minutes, C11.59 to 44.59, and operating room times, MD equals 51.39 minutes, C15.07 to 87.72, the RAL technique remained inferior. Conclusion RAL does not have statistically demonstrable advantages over CL in terms of perioperative outcomes for endometriosis-related surgery. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Phase 2 study of intraperitoneal administration of paclitaxel combined with S1 and cisplatin for gastric cancer with peritoneal metastasis. Background Intraperitoneal chemotherapy is promising for gastric cancer with peritoneal metastasis. Although a phase 3 study failed to show a statistically significant superiority of intraperitoneal paclitaxel combined with S1 and intravenous paclitaxel, the sensitivity analysis suggested clinical efficacy. Thus, attempts to combine intraperitoneal paclitaxel with other systemic therapies with higher efficacy have been warranted. We sought to explore the efficacy of intraperitoneal paclitaxel with S1 and cisplatin. Patients and Methods Gastric cancer patients with peritoneal metastasis were enrolled in the Phase II trial. In addition to the established S1 and cisplatin regimen every five weeks, intraperitoneal paclitaxel was administered on days 1, 8, and 22 at a dose of 20 mg M2. The primary endpoint was overall survival rate at one year after treatment initiation. Secondary endpoints were progression-free survival and toxicity. Results 53 patients were enrolled and fully evaluated for efficacy and toxicity. The one-year overall survival rate was 73.6%, 95% confidence interval 59.5 to 83.4%, and the primary endpoint was met. The median survival time was 19.4 months, 95% confidence interval, 16.1 to 24.6 months. The one-year progression-free survival rate was 49.6%, 95% confidence interval, 34.6 to 62.9%. The incidences of grade 3 quarters hematological and non-hematological toxicities were 43% and 47%, respectively. The frequent grade 3 quarters toxicities included neutropenia, 25%, anemia, 30%, diarrhea, 13%, and anorexia, 17%. Intraperitoneal catheter and implanted port-related complications were observed in four patients. There was one treatment-related death. Conclusions Intraperitoneal paclitaxel combined with S1 and cisplatin is well tolerated and active in gastric cancer patients with peritoneal metastasis. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Efficacy of high-dose liraglutide 3.0 mg in patients with poor response to bariatric surgery, real-world experience and updated meta-analysis. Purpose Poor response to bariatric surgery, characterized by insufficient weight loss, IWL or weight regain, WR, 
poses a significant challenge in obesity treatment. This study aims to assess the effectiveness of liraglutide in addressing this issue. Materials and Methods A retrospective, multi-center cohort study investigated the impact of liraglutide 3 mg on weight loss in adults with suboptimal responses or weight regain after bariatric surgery BS. Additionally, a systematic review and meta-analysis were conducted for a comprehensive evaluation. Results A total of 119 patients, mean age 41.03 plus or minus 11.2 years, 71.4% female, who experienced IWL or WR after BS received pharmacologic therapy with liraglutide 3 mg. Mean percent weight loss in the entire cohort was 5.6 plus or minus 2.6% at 12 weeks and 9.3 plus or minus 3.6% at 24 weeks with a significant reduction in waist circumference, p less than 0.0001. No serious side effects were reported. A meta-analysis, utilizing the fixed effect model with the metaphor package in R, included 6 and 5 papers for the change in body weight and BMI after liraglutide treatment, respectively. The analysis demonstrated a considerable reduction in body weight, 7.9, C-10.4, minus 5.4, minus P less than 0.0001 and BMI, 3.09, C3.89, minus 2.28, P less than 0.0001. Conclusion Liraglutide 3 mg emerges as a viable option for significant weight loss in patients experiencing IWL or WR after BS. Its inclusion in a multimodal, sequential obesity treatment approach proves promising. Next article is from International Journal of Surgery. Creation of a decellularized vaginal matrix from healthy human vaginal tissue for potential vagina reconstruction, experimental studies. Background When a disorder causes the absence of a healthy, full-size vagina, various neovaginal creation methods are available. Sometimes dilation or stretching of the vaginal cavity is sufficient, but intestinal or dermal flap tissue is generally required. However, different inherent tissue properties cause complications. Therefore, a lost body part should be replaced with a similar material. The use of organ-specific cellular vaginal tissue carries great potential, as its similar architecture and matrix composition make it suitable for vaginal regeneration. Methods The authors developed an optimized protocol for decellularization of healthy human vaginal tissue. Resected colpectomy tissue from 12 healthy transgender patients was used. Successful decellularization was confirmed by applying acellular criteria from in vivo remodeling reports. Suitability as a tissue-mimicking scaffold for vaginal reconstruction was determined by visible structural features, biocompatibility during stretching, and the presence of visible collagen, elastin, laminin, and fibronectin. Results Histological examination confirmed the preservation of structural features, and minimal cellular residue was seen during fluorescence microscopy, DNA and RNA quantification, and fragment length examination. Biomechanical testing showed decreased peak load, 55%, P less than 0.05, strain at rupture, 23%, P less than 0.01, and ultimate tensile stress, 55%, P less than 0.05, after decellularization, while the elastic modulus, 
68%, did not decrease significantly. Fluorescence microscopy revealed preserved fibronectin I-2-3 and laminin I-2, while collagen I and ficolin 2B were decreased but mostly retained. Conclusions The absence of cellular residue, moderately altered biomechanical extracellular matrix properties, and mostly preserved structural proteins appear to make our decellularized human vaginal matrix a suitable tissue-mimicking scaffold for vagina transplantation when tissue survival through vascularization and innervation are accomplished in the future. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Development and Initial Performance of the Hospital Mental Health Risk Screen Background Patients hospitalized after emergency care are at risk for later mental health problems such as depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. The American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma Standards for Verification require Level 1 and 2 trauma centers to screen patients at high risk for mental health problems. This study aimed to develop and examine the performance of a novel mental health risk screen for hospitalized patients based on samples that reflect the diversity of the U.S. population. Study Design We studied patients admitted after emergency care to three hospitals that serve ethnically, racially, and socioeconomically diverse populations. We assessed risk factors during hospitalization and mental health symptoms at follow-up. We conducted analyzes to identify the most predictive risk factors, selected items to assess each risk, and determined the fewest items needed to predict mental health symptoms at follow-up. Analyzes were conducted for the entire sample and within five ethnic and racial subgroups. Results Among 1,320 patients, 10 items accurately identified 75% of patients who later had elevated levels of mental health symptoms and 71% of those who did not. Screen performance was good to excellent within each of the ethnic and racial groups studied. Conclusions The hospital mental health risk screen accurately predicted mental health outcomes overall and within ethnic and racial subgroups. If performance is replicated in a new sample, the screen could be used to screen patients hospitalized after emergency care for mental health risk. Routine screening could increase health and mental health equity and foster preventive care research and implementation. Anterior quadratus lumborum block at lateral supraarcuate ligament versus lateral quadratus lumborum block for postoperative analgesia after laparoscopic colorectal surgery, a randomized controlled trial. Background Quadratus lumborum block, QLB, has been found to be advantageous for laparoscopic colorectal surgery. This study hypothesized that preoperative anterior QLB at lateral supraarcuate ligament, QLB would decrease postoperative opioid usage and offer improved analgesia within the context of multimodal analgesia compared with lateral QLB, LQLB, for laparoscopic colorectal surgery. Study Design In this randomized controlled trial, 82 American Society of Anesthesiologists Physical Status I-3 class colorectal cancer patients undergoing laparoscopic radical resection were enrolled and randomly assigned to receive either LQLB or QLB usal. 0.375% ropivacaine 0.3 ml kg bilaterally for each group. 
The primary outcomes were the total intravenous morphine equivalent consumption at 24 hours postoperatively. Results Intravenous morphine equivalent consumption at 24 hours postoperatively was significantly reduced in the QLB group compared with that in the LQLB group with per protocol analysis, 29.2 plus or minus 5.8 versus 40.5 plus or minus 9.6 mg, p less than 0.001, an intention to treat analysis, 29.6 plus or minus 6.1 versus 40.8 plus or minus 9.5 mg, P less than 0.001. Time to first patient controlled analgesia request was notably longer in the QLB usal group than that in the LQLB group, 10.4 plus or minus 3.9 versus 3.7 plus or minus 1.5 hours, P less than 0.001. Conclusions Preoperative bilateral ultrasound-guided QLB usal reduces morphine usage and extends the duration until the first patient-controlled analgesia demand within the framework of multimodal analgesia when compared with LQLB after laparoscopic colorectal surgery. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. When is it safe to start venous thromboembolism prophylaxis after blunt solid organ injury? A prospective American Association for the Surgery of Trauma Multi-Institutional Trial Background The optimal time to initiate venous thromboembolism, VTE, chemoprophylaxis, VEP, after blunt solid organ injury remains controversial, as VTE mitigation must be balanced against bleeding promulgation. Evidence from primarily small, retrospective, Single-center work suggests that VEP less than or equal to 48 hours is safe and effective. This study was undertaken to validate this clinical practice. Methods Blunt trauma patients presenting to 19 participating trauma centers in North America were screened over a one-year study period beginning between August 1 and October 1, 2021. Inclusions were age older than 15 years, greater than or equal to one liver, spleen, or kidney injury and initial non-operative management. Exclusions were transfers, emergency department death, pregnancy, and concomitant bleeding disorder slash anticoagulation slash antiplatelet medication. A priori power calculation stipulated the need for 1,158 patients. Time of DEP initiation defined study groups, early, less than or equal to 48 hours of admission, versus late, greater than 48 hours. Bivariate and multivariable analyzes compared outcomes. Results. In total, 1,173 patients satisfied the study criteria with 571 liver, 49%, 557 spleen, 47%, and 277 kidney injuries, 24%. The median patient age was 34 years in turquoise range, 25 to 49 years, and 67% and equals 780 were male. The median injury severity score was 22, interquartile range, 14 to 29, with abbreviated injury scale abdomen score of 3, interquartile range, 2 to 3, and the median American Association for the Surgery of Trauma Grade of Solid Organ Injury was 2, interquartile range, 2 to 3. Early FDEP patients, and equals 838, 74%, had significantly lower rates of VTE, N equals 28, 3%, versus N equals 21, 7%, P equals 0.008, 
comparable rates of non-operative management failure, N equals 21, 3%, versus N equals 12, 4%, P equals 0.228, and lower rates of post-PEP blood transfusion, N equals 145, 17%, versus N equals 71, 23%, P equals 0.024, when compared with late PEP patients, N equals 301, 26%. Late step was independently associated with VTE, odd ratio, 2.251, P equals 0.046. Conclusion Early initiation of VTEP was associated with significantly reduced rates of VTE with no increase in bleeding complications. Venous thromboembolism chemoprophylaxis initiation less than or equal to 48 hours is therefore safe and effective and should be the standard of care for patients with blunt solid organ injury. Next article is from World Journal of Surgery. Laparoscopic but not open surgical skills can be transferred to robot-assisted surgery, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Background With an increase in robot-assisted surgery across all specialties, adequate training and credentialing strategies need to be identified to ensure patient safety. The meta-analysis assesses the transferability of technical surgical skills between laparoscopic surgery, open surgery, and robot-assisted surgery. Design A systematic search was conducted in Medline, Cochrane Central Register of Controlled Trials, and Web of Science. Outcomes were categorized into time, process, product, and composite outcome measures and pooled separately using hedged, standardized mean difference, SMD. Subgroup analyzes were performed to assess the effect of study design, virtual reality platforms, and task difficulty. Results out of 14,120 screened studies, 30 were included in the qualitative synthesis and 26 in the quantitative synthesis. Technical surgical skill transfer was demonstrated from laparoscopic to robot-assisted surgery, composite, SMD 0.40, 95% confidence interval, C, 0.19, 0.62, time, SMD 0.62, C, 0.33, 0.91, and vice versa. Composite, SMD 0.66, C, 0.33, 0.99, time, basic skills, SMD 0.36, C, 0.01, 0.72. No skill transfer was seen from open to robot-assisted surgery with limited available data. Conclusion Technical surgical skills can be transferred from laparoscopic to robot-assisted surgery and vice versa. Robot-assisted and laparoscopic surgical skills training and credentialing should not be regarded separately, but a reasonable combination could shorten overall training times and increase efficiency. Previous experience in open surgery should not be considered as an imperative prerequisite for training in robot-assisted surgery. Recommendations for studies assessing skill transfer are proposed to increase comparability and significance of future studies. Thank you for listening to This Week in Surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.